This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priests said her any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. If they give France any momentum from in the tight exchanges, if they let DuPont and that French pack dictate the pace of the game, get easy momentum, get easy gain lines, I think they, you know, they, they're so hard to stop. I think they, they might, they, they, could, they could beat us. That's the, that, in that, in those, two, those three parts of the game is where the winning is, I think, which isn't the glamour stuff, but it's the key against France. It was a weekend of high drama as Six Nations 2023 kicked off with a bang. Ireland will be happiest as they top the table after their bonus point win in Cardiff. But Scotland are celebrating too after completing a rare Calcutta Cup hat-trick against England at Twickenham. And there was also plenty of drama in Rome as France just about outlasted Italy. That leaves us with plenty of Six Nation talking points to reflect on tonight and just as much excitement to look forward to ahead of what is another big weekend to come. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley for our chat. And Luke, we'll start with Ireland. It was the first game of the weekend and what a game from an Irish perspective. 27 points in 27 minutes really set the tone. I know, I suppose it wasn't all positive. Wales did get back into the game, but from that opening period when Ireland really put their stamp on things, what stood out to you the most? I thought the accuracy was brilliant, um, kind of blue in the face saying, you know, how difficult it is to perform in attack in the early parts of the competition, you know, when you've got, you know, probably about eight, eight training sessions or so. It's very difficult, you know, combining all the different methodologies and different things in different provinces and bringing them all together for a really polished attacking performance. And I thought, um, you know, Ireland were, were really accurate in what they did. I thought they were very direct. Um, that hasn't always worked in Wales against those Sean Edwards-like defence and I think that was probably the biggest, most glaring uh, difference I think I thought between the teams is that, you know, I thought Ireland bullied them in the first 25-30 minutes. I don't think I've ever really seen a Welsh team get that badly bullied um, at home in the Six Nations at the start of a game and it was, uh, you know... I, uh, it, there's a, there's an awful lot of work for, for, for Wales to do to get back in it um, and you know from the Ireland perspective um, I think they need to be careful they don't get too far ahead of themselves I thought um, you know I, I, they certainly won't be bullying France in those tight exchanges uh, like they did against against Wales um, you know I think it'll be more of a kind of turgid affair and, and, and tougher to get those easy yards on the inside that make everyone look so good um, and I think as well the intercept try it wasn't a try scoring opportunity by any stretch, um, but that is that that does still kind of colour things a little bit differently. And if they look back on the game, they'll see different things, or they'll see a lot of things. I think where you know the, the Keenan inter, inter uh, you know intercept on the line just uh, to to thwart a, a Welsh try, and also the Porter uh, hold out uh, that was a brilliant you know hold up tackle, um, and then uh, the James Ryan moment at the five meter line out that that that. Um, 
uh, line-out turnover. So, um, look, they came good in those big moments. That's really positive. But there is lots, I think, and to, to keep yourself grounded, I think, coming into a French match, which would be very, very difficult. That was a tight game over in Rome. Um, but I think, you know, they'll be buzzing for this this uh, this Irish match in the Aviva, and it'll be a very, very different uh, match. And I think Ireland need to be prepared for that. Uh, yes, be confident. It's a great start. Um, but there is still lots to work on. It was I hate that phrase that nearly every single player <laughs> that plays rugby comes out with in an aftermatch um, interview. But it really is true on this occasion. Yeah, Jonathan, plenty to unpack. But one thing to get like to get your opinion on is I suppose the, that fast start that's become a bit of a hallmark of of Andy Farrell's Ireland, in particular in some big away games. I just you know looking at it earlier, their last five away matches: three in New Zealand, one in Twickenham, and then Cardiff at the weekend. They scored the opening try of the game within six minutes on all five occasions, really setting the tone and getting four victories out of five in some very difficult places to go and really quieting that crowd down. It, it's it's a great thing to have in your locker. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it speaks to the work that they've probably done on the mental side of the game, the mental preparation, um, the work in those areas that they're putting in, because they seem to be at the pitch that they need to be almost all the time right away from the kickoff. And, you know, we talked last week about how difficult it was going to be, the Cardiff factor, the Gatlin bounce. And Ireland essentially just negated that with their start because they sucked the life out of that stadium. And we know what the atmosphere is can be like in that place when it's hopping and Ireland were just so good to start that they took the life out of the Welsh crowd you know two tries in the first uh, in the first 10 minutes and from there while there were some periods yeah where Wales got in the ascendancy Ireland were always in control of the game and you know you think back to that third test in New Zealand and um, a lot of the sort of better performances of the Andy Farrell era that's been a hallmark of them. Yeah, look, how difficult is it to hit that pitch from the get-go? You know, not only as you've been saying, you know, starting of a Six Nations, there's some teething problems, but just that has really stood out in those key victories Ireland have achieved in the last, you know, 12 months or so, especially on the road, as I mentioned. It's just that they're so clued in right from the kickoff, and, you know, punching in some really impressive tries. Like, from your perspective, you played international rugby. To get to that level right from the get-go must be very difficult. Yeah, it is. Look, I think it's probably it's probably a couple of things, as always, with these things, Will. I think that the team is confident at the moment. Uh, that really does help. It calms you down in those big moments. Um, I think they're very skillful. You know, I was looking at the forward pack. Um, you know, there was very few at the start of the game. There was very few balls that they dropped. And, and yet, yes, they were making ground. But oftentimes at the start of the game, you know, in, in a Six Nations match, the excitement levels are high. Someone, you know, overruns, you know, a pass from nine or someone's, you know, fumbles a ball. They did very little of that. And I think that's something that they're really good at uh, you know when they are humming is that there's very few errors that you can kind of capitalise on and I thought as well what really improved from November was I thought the accuracy at rook time was was way better I thought the entry you know forced Wales to give away a lot of penalties put themselves in bad positions which were very obvious to the referee I I think interesting to hear Gatlin say he didn't have many complaints about the referee Um, you know that's when you knew he he was defeated he mentally broke and after a bad day at the office he didn't even have a little one or two things to to, to kind of throw in I mean, one or two weird ones. The Porter one was a bit odd. Um, you know, I kind of get what he was saying, but at the same time, if Porter doesn't go for that one, even though he's never really going to get it, he'd kind of get given out to as well. So there's two sides to that. Um, the rest of it, I think, you know, was pretty telling. Um, maybe they'll find more as you look back at the game during the week. But, you know, I think 
you know, you could, rugby is so technical that you'll always find something that the referee missed. And um, I think generally he was spot on with the momentum, the momentum of the game, and he caught most of the clear pictures that were wrong at the rook and um, that the Welsh players were giving him. And um, actually, thought he overcorrected. Ireland could probably feel a little bit aggrieved. I think possibly at periods in that second half, but overall, I thought he was excellent. Uh, I'm pretty harsh on referees. I thought he was really good for for most parts of the game. Um, and I think that was down to Ireland's accuracy. To, to return to why Ireland are doing these things well, they didn't reinvent the wheel. A lot of it was one out passes from Murray. Um, and that's why I, I was probably a little bit critical of the Welsh team in my first answer as to why Ireland did so well. I thought they I thought they got bullied um, you know and they never got off the line they let lots of runners through their defensive line normally you know when you look at a Wales team particularly with Sean Edwards and I keep going back to that obviously things have moved on since then um, you know if you were making a break it was it was through brilliant passing and getting it to the outside and it was rare that you made a break through the middle of, of a Welsh uh, defensive line and I thought that happened you know so much at the start of the game you think of even James Ryan when he gets held up that's a really basic one close to the line that Wales don't cover um, you know for uh, I, I can't remember who got the first try off the top of my head but Doris you know, Doris excuse yeah. me Doris got that try he was bloody everywhere in the weekend but that inside ball from Sexton to James Ryan that's really basic stuff and like trucking over it people like <laughs> unbelievable. it looked like it was James Lowe coming in off the line with the amount of space that he had so uh, I think Wales would be really disappointed with that and Ireland on the other side the calmness the confidence and the accuracy really really delivered on all those things and that's why they look so good compared to Wales who didn't deliver on any of that Yeah Jonathan one man who was really to the forefront in that opening you know 25-30 minutes was Conor Murray obviously him coming back in to the starting side late on with the injury to Gibson Park with you know a lot of pressure on him just like in November when he got that you know kind of call up against South Africa when Gibson Park was similarly injured you know how impressive was he from from your perspective he just seemed to be in total control in that opening period but but being kind of quick and snappy as well which has been a bit of a criticism of him over the last period yeah absolutely well I thought he was really really good actually I think you know at this time of year there's always sort of talk about you know who are the irreplaceable players in the Ireland team and you would have seen Jameson Gibson's Park's name on that list in a few different places and to lose him on the morning of the match and to have Conor Murray come in it was definitely something that I think a lot of people were going to be looking at but I thought like Ireland's accuracy at the breakdown was so so good throughout that first um, half an hour 35 minutes but Murray getting to the breakdown quickly getting the ball away quickly, you know, there's all always these debates now, I suppose, about Murray's speed of pass, but I thought he got there quickly, the, he got the ball away quickly, and he made the right decisions as well, because that's maybe a bit of that, that can be overlooked, but I think um, so much of what Ireland are doing is based upon, you know, the multiple options that they're showing and attack, making defenders make decisions about where they're going to go, and I think Murray just really really nailed the decision making part of it as well can I tie in on that one as well uh, Will I think and it's a great point I think that Jonathan makes but you know I think there's kind of a symbiotic relationship between the the um you know, the accuracy at rook time and the speed of, at which your nine and the good decision making that the nine can make off the back of that. I actually thought what was really good about uh, Murray on the weekend was that he was getting the ball out so quickly that it almost forces the decision upon you. And I think sometimes, you know, if you're a great player like he has, brilliant career, you can kind of overthink things there. You can sit there and, uh, um, you know, at, at, at the at the base of a rook when the ball is available and, and try and figure out all the options whereas really if you're just if you're in there you're thinking about getting the thing away similar to James Gibson Park 
Yes, you get a few errors, but oftentimes the decisions look really good because you just have to play the first thing you see because the ball's out so quickly and all of a sudden the defensive line is moving forward. You've no choice. And I thought that was the great thing about Murray. He almost took the decision-making and the thinking out of it by being there so quickly. And the thinking was get it away yeah it's a funny one because you could kind of look it could have gone maybe the other way potentially had he been getting there quickly but kind of been a little more ponderous it would have been so much more noticeable than it maybe otherwise would have been because the ball was right there but if he if he had been a bit slower or maybe nesting over the ball a bit or you know deliberating on what way to go or looking right and looking left and then going back right it would have just been really really stark because of the quick ball that was being presented yeah and look generally he was pretty good as in I think even when the, the times he did choose to kick there was a few occasions at the start of the match where I was thinking mm, don't get into this habit now where you're kind of relying yes your kicking is brilliant um, but I thought he married the two really well I thought he had a really good feel for where the game was at and how the Irish team were, were kind of you know what position and, and what kind of shape the team was in I thought he chose to kick very well sometimes I think he can overdo it and maybe not trust Maybe, look, it's probably a virtue of Munster probably not performing as highly over the last couple of years. You know, whether it's him being a little bit more ponderous or whether it's them not being in as good positions and maybe him not trusting them to have the ball in, say, the middle of the pitch and areas like that. Generally, I think Gibson Park doesn't overthink that too much. He just gives it to gives it out and keeps the thing moving. I thought Murray actually married those two things very well with, with the balance more towards trusting the Irish team to be able to get a little bit of momentum in those middle of the park and ha- not having him have to go up to the air to try and get momentum back. So I thought he was brilliant in the week again I'm glad you called it out actually I think you know he's come in for a little bit of criticism things are changing he's certainly getting older Casey has obviously come to the fore in Munster and that pace of play is what's been emphasized there as well he's been I suppose uh, he suffered a little bit off the back of that so good to see him playing well great player for Ireland yeah because I know it was a different period of the game Wales were in more of an ascendancy you know Ireland were maybe playing slightly differently because they had a lead but when Craig Casey came in I didn't think his decision making was as good as Conor Murray's and he's obviously maybe usurped him to a certain degree uh, at Munster Jonathan another player who you know, maybe came into the game under a little bit of pressure or with a point to prove or certainly with questions around Ireland's World Cup depth as a whole was Finley Beelham. It was his first Six Nations start. I thought he was really, really good as well. You know, obviously, you know, it was part of a scrum that won a couple of penalties. You know, he carried pretty pretty well on occasion when he when he got when he got into the mix there. I just thought it was a, a, another kind of thing to tick off the list maybe that Ireland can survive if Ty Furlong, he obviously isn't playing this weekend, but even if he was to miss a match at the World Cup. Yeah, I think Beelham's been super, really. Um, sort of going back to New Zealand. Like, anytime I've seen him play for Connacht um, this year, he's been one of their standout performers. I think he's played well for Ireland. And I think you go back to maybe this time last year, and I think the expectation in a lot of places would have been that Tom O'Toole would have become that backup to tag Farlong, certainly in the amount of investment that it seemed like Andy Farrell was giving him, bringing him into squads and things like that. But Bielham has just really, really clung on to that shirt and he's there on merit. You know, you mentioned playing the first first Six Nations start there and it almost came as a surprise that that was his first Six Nations start, I think, because he has been in and around the panel for uh, for so long. But he just looked like he belonged at that level. Obviously, I think we all know and all expect that there's going to be a much bigger challenge in Dublin against France this week. It's a, a different type of scrummaging side. It's a much better scrum, quite frankly, the, fr- the French. But yeah, I thought he did really, really well as part of what is a really sort of promising, uh, really 12-month period for him, I think. Yeah, and even when he came in against South Africa in, in November, I think Ty Furley went off at halftime in that game. And, you know, he was part of a scrum then that won a couple of penalties. As Jonathan said, it's a huge challenge on, on Saturday, but... 
you know, I have a lot of confidence in how he could perform based on what I've seen over the last couple of Ireland appearances about how he's gone about his business generally with Connacht this year. I thought it was a massive step forward for him at the weekend. And he has been playing well, but to go in from the start in a Six Nations game is, is a different kettle of fish and thought he was brilliant. Yeah, he was excellent. You know, I thought he was brilliant around the pitch too. Uh, some nice tackles. Um, you know, I thought he had a lovely touch for, for one of the tries, a lovely little pop. Um, just, uh, you know, almost got lost in, um, you know, because the tries were scored just off the pop pass, but he drew in the pillar defender right opposite him and then just a lovely little soft bit of hands uh, for, for the try off the five metre um, um, uh, quick tap so yeah no brilliant brilliant bit of play I think look the scrum of Connacht has been a strong point for them all season their stats are very good very solid in terms of ball won and penalties given away um, you know you'd have to think he's a, he's a major part of that so uh, yeah kudos to him uh, not sure about the haircut but I think everything else I really like about Bealham and I think he's been you know a bit of a stalwart there and um, you know Ty Furlong seems to be struggling a little little bit with injuries here and there uh, you know we hope that kind of injury profile improves for the World Cup because there certainly is a difference just I think what more so what type brings you at line out time with the height and I think the bit around the pitch from attack you know it's very hard to replicate those things oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's, he's, oh, yeah, he's one of the as good as Finley Beelham has been I think we can agree yeah, yeah. Ty Furlong is a you know. but I think we talked about this championship and, and whether you know we would be able to trust some of these guys who are behind uh, key players like Sexton like uh, Henshaw like um, you know Furlong I think we are seeing that because I thought McCluskey as well we're probably not going to be able to go through every single individual but he was brilliant too on, on the weekend I thought so uh, I thought it was really, really positive in loads of respects. You know, we could trust the guys coming in behind those, those, well, those it's players. It's funny you say that, though, Luke, because Jonathan, I'll bring you in on this one because we discussed this last week about, you know, Ross Byrne and you guys both made the point that maybe it's not how many starts he gets, but how many minutes he gets. And that was one thing I remember I was watching the game with a couple of friends and I was like, when are they going to make that change at 10? I think it was 68 minutes when Ross Byrne finally came on. And I thought he actually did play quite well when he came. He kind of sparked that final try. He took one ball really close to the line and hit James Lowe with a really good pass and had a few nice touches. But Jonathan, were you disappointed that they maybe didn't bring him in a little earlier? Like I know the game felt quite frantic, but the scoreboard was, you know what, at that stage, twenty-seven, ten. I think if you can't trust Ross Byrne to come on at the hour mark, even then, like I just thought, thought that was a bit of a missed opportunity. I felt exactly the same, but the one thing that I would be heartened by was the fact that he still come on with the job today. Um, it probably looked for a large part of that game that that wasn't going to be the case, but whenever he came in, Ireland still had to go and secure the bonus point. I think he played really well through that. Uh, period in the build-up to Josh van der Flaer's try. I think it was... He had five touches throughout that move. It was double-digit phase move. A uh, really well-worked try, even though Wales were down to 14 men and allowed Ireland plenty of space. But I just think the fact that he came on in a game where there was still, still something that he had to add to the game, and I think he did add it because I think you saw Ireland... They really got a good bit of control back into things during the period that Ross Byrne was on. I thought Bondiaki off the bench was really good as well. And I just think that will stand him more so than had he got maybe, say, 30 minutes. But if Ireland had got the bonus point already in the bag by the time he came on. Yeah, don't disagree with what Jonathan said there. You know, I do, even though I would like to see him 10 minutes earlier. But, you know, what do you think about that? But also how he played when he did get in. I want to give an answer, but I pretty much agree with everything that Jonathan has said. Um, I, I did like the measure of control. There was still a little bit of, yes, they were down to 14 men, but there was still that little bit of desperation about that Welsh uh, team at, the t at that time trying to get back into the game. There was pressure there. The crowd were more involved at this point in the game. And I thought he killed it off really well. So very positive, I think, from, from an Ireland perspective. Um, you know, I think you can build trust based 
based on those kind of minutes because if he'd come in and capitulated, if they'd given away another try when he was on, there would have been a bit of pressure on. Um, so I thought he delivered very well. I was really pleased for him. What do you think, though, Andy Farrell's thought process was around that substitution in the sense that, like, of keeping Johnny in so long? Was he? Do you think he's thinking, oh, we we can only get the bonus point if Johnny is there, or you know? Or, I don't know. Or I, do you think Andy Farrell had sixty-eight minutes written down in a piece of paper beforehand? Was like, this no. is when I bring him in. Like, I think I did, the injury, I, I think the, the knock played a part in that. Way. Yeah. I also feel. So like would he have well, gone off? There? Would he, would no, he have kept him I, on for eighty minutes or see, seventy-eight minutes? He might, he might try and build in a bit of endurance into Johnny at this point in the competition because he's played so little rugby. So there might be a little bit of that uh, at play. Um, you know, and I think. Um, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. You know, you could probably like Rossburn might have built up enough trust that um, Andy Farrell thinks that if if even if Johnny Sexton goes off after five minutes against France next week, that. Uh, Ross Byrne doesn't need to have 10 minutes at the end of the game because um, that's a really difficult ask to to, to, to bring someone in uh, that late in the game and get the, and get up to the tempo of the game so quickly the positive part is he did bring him in and he did deliver um, and I think what it does say is that maybe he's not concerned about who comes in after Johnny or maybe he's a risk taker and <laughs> maybe he doesn't think maybe he thinks do you know what I'm going to risk it I'm going to risk that Johnny's going to be able to, to stay fit for the whole competition and, and that's just that's just how I believe things are going to go I, I don't think it's that I think it's because he thinks there's enough quality there with Ross Byrne over what he's done this this in a Leinster uh, you know, jersey this season that he can trust him even if he has to come in after two or three minutes if there's a weird knock to Johnny Jonathan so obviously the French on Saturday it's set up to be an absolute cracker they had their struggles with Italy at times. They had built a decent lead themselves and Italy got back into the game and, and almost snatched it at the end. They did get that victory. It's a, it's a six-day turnaround for them. I think they're spending the, the most part of this week in Rome and then coming over to Dublin late on. Like, Where do you see Ireland in relation to this French team? You know, France, I think, have won... You know they won ten out of ten last year. They've started off with a win this year, so they're, on, they're riding high. But are Ireland favourites for you? I think Ireland are just about favourites, yeah, but... I think what's really interesting about this and something that we maybe um, overlook maybe in past six nations is these are genuinely the two best teams in the world. And that's not something that we often get in the six nations because more often than not, you're going to have South Africa in there, you're going to have New Zealand in there. So normally why we all love this competition and it is rugby's best championship, it's a real rarity that we get the two best sides in the world going head to head. And that's what we have on Saturday. So, I have Ireland as slight favourites, but I think it's good. it's a brilliant game that we have in prospect here. Yeah, and it's obviously you know massive for Ireland to win a Six Nations, no matter who they beat. But how important is it to beat this French team, considering it they're the only team Andy Farrell hasn't beaten since he took charge? Three defeats out of three games. More than likely, Ireland would have to go through France later on in the year in, in a World Cup. Like psychologically, would it be a big blow, you know, to lose on Saturday? You know, in terms of what could come down the track. Like, would you going into the World Cup having lost all four games you've played against France? It would seem a huge ask to then turn them over in a World Cup in France. I think it's a pretty important game from that point of view as well as for the championship. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I probably I'm not sure that they're, they're the two best teams in in the world. I, I do think South Africa play a part in there somewhere, um, and I think. You know, when they're fully, when they're all set, when they've been in camp together at a World Cup, I, I still think, to my mind, I know France are at home, and that makes them the team to beat, but it's bloody close between them and uh, and and South Africa. You know, I think at the World Cup next year, I think Ireland probably third fa- third favourites in, in my opinion. Um, sadly, we're on the same side of the draw as those two teams. Um, but look, I think. Um, you know, Ireland will. I, I think it'll be important for them to, to to win. I think the old mentality of being the kind of underdog probably doesn't sit as well with this group of players. I think they'd like to have had a win. I agree with you. Uh, coming into those, you know, you could possibly be facing them. You know, after the pool stages, and I think they'd like to have 
they'd like to have a few or you know a bit of their game plan work against this French team and break them down and say okay look we can look what we did to them here in the Aviva you know we can deliver on this again and, and I think there will be opportunities for us because uh, you know if we perform on the day and, and I loved you know Andy Farrell's mindset I think you know that thing about the bus he said you know I think this team will be you know they'll be able to adapt against you know uh, an environment that is going to be very challenging next year if they do come up against this French team um, and I think having something to lean on will only help that having something to say okay look we've we've got a body of work here against this team we almost pipped them last year in paris but for a bad start and a bad finish we had the middle of that game now we look at the aviva there's loads of opportunities here for us to break this team out and yes look we did still even though we might not play well or something like that we got a result against them so they need this one i think um i think it's important for them um i expect them to maybe come out on this uh, just just sort of, you know i think it'll be a very tight one because i think this French, uh, this French challenge is very, very different to the, to the Welsh challenge, and everything about them, that pack, and Dupont. I mean, Dupont. It just he was he was so good. Everything that France did at the start of that game seemed to revolve around Dupont. Nearly got that blocked down try as well from the kick. Very unlucky there. Um, you know that front nine because I'm going to include him in there. They are a real handful. Um, and I'd look and look. I think Bielan being in is great because we get to see him now against this French pack. Um, they might even be a better scrummaging unit than uh, than that South African team. So loads, loads to whet the appetite uh, uh, coming into the weekend. And I really hope I'm really hope that they deliver a performance that I think is worthy of the last year and a half that they've that they put in. I think they've been brilliant for for quite a period now. And Jonathan, just in the French, you know, how much significance do you put in their performance against Italy? You know, as I mentioned, they had a good lead. It was whittled down towards the end. It, it, are you looking at them as more vulnerable now as a result of maybe not hitting their straps in the first game? I don't know, because I think you can also look at it and say that there'll be no hint of complacency, even though they are riding this length, lengthy winning streak. And so much of what they did wrong or what went against them, I think, was... Um, the penalties, like, you know, you heard Edward saying afterwards that he couldn't remember a side ever giving away so many penalties um, defensively at the breakdown as France did. And when it comes down to it, like, so much of that is going to be interpretation. That changes week to week. It changes referee to referee. So I, I don't think you're ever going to see a France team give away that many penalties again. But you might see them give just... away penalties, though, Jonathan. That like that that was one thing that you know, you know, Edwards. I thought what kind of had solved that problem, but they never were really able I mean... to stop it. Um, which is, I think, a bit of a concern for them. At the, you know, I know. Look, it is Italy, and maybe they'll be a bit sharper this week coming into the Irish game. You'd expect, but what did you make of that part of it? You know, I think we'd always associate that little bit of ill discipline with with Welsh teams over the years. That little bit of uh, lack of consistency. Um, do you think that's something that Ireland should be focused on, focusing on uh, coming into the weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, as you say, I think Edwards had seemed to eradicate that area that you would see as typically French, that ill-disciplined streak that they can't have. And he seemed to really get, uh, get that out of him. But I think they'll be so hyper-focused on that this week. He'll be so hyper-focused on that this week um, that I can't see them being as bad in that area for a long, long time, let alone this week. And it was a great opening weekend generally. Obviously, the Scotland-England game was an absolute belter. You know, talk about the new coach bounce. Oh, geez, Bortwick and Gatlin didn't bring much into it. the old coach bounce? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, why did you make that game at Twickenham? Well, an absolute belter. Obviously, the Van der Merwe tries, you know, even the one at the end to, to win it late on. And, you know, 
Craig Townsend, you know, he's gotten a lot of criticism over the years. His contract's up at the end of the World Cup, and there's uncertainty about whether he's being kept on or if there'll be a new coach there. He's beaten England three times in a row. Their biggest rivals, they haven't been able to back up any of those victories as yet, which makes the Welsh game on Saturday such a crucial one, but still a very impressive victory. Yeah, I thought they were brilliant and they were good for their win. Uh, you know, England have massive problems defensively, massive problems. I think... Um, they really miss that two laggy Slade combo in the centre, and I think Farrell at ten is is a big problem for them. I think they're picking them in the wrong position, have been for quite a while. I think they're holding on to that New Zealand semi final win um, for for quite a while. Um, and you know Ford is a different player to to Smith. I think not as loose, um, probably a better player as well at this point. I think Smith may go on to do great things, um, but I think he's still too small for international rugby. I think he'll have problems in different areas. That's a different conversation. I'm not going to get in that rabbit hole now. But that ten twelve axis is a problem for England, um, and I think they need they need to get more out of their defence. Like great English teams are generally pretty stingy defensively, um, you know, and, and pretty solid. Um, didn't see much of that in the weekend. Lots of poor errors. Um, and look on the on the flip side of that, um, you know, Scotland were brilliant. Took advantage of it to play an expansive rugby. They were brave at times um, when, when they needed to be, and their skills were good. They took advantage of it. Like when England made mistakes defensively, Scotland's skills were excellent. I mean, Van der Merwe, I like, I wouldn't have had him down as an unbelievably skillful player. Um, you know, and most of that long range effort was pure, you know, athleticism. But there was a lovely little bit of that, that handoff, that switch to hand off. Um, Don Brandt. Don Brandt, I thought, was a brilliant bit of play. Now, again, we go to England's like, chest out, you know. It's an awful miss as well, you know, to not have the inside hand high to to to, to expect, uh, you know, a handoff and be able to knock that down, um, not to get the feet close, not to get the, the the shoulders over the chest. Really poor technique from from Don Brandt, and it was lit. That try was littered with people going off their feet against a brilliant athlete who's very heavy and very quick. Shocking, shocking stuff. So, um. I think um, from both sides, you know, lots of lots of positives. It was a brilliant affair. I was delighted to see Scotland get three on the bounce. It's kind of a weird one, and it really highlights that inconsistency and what that team is really capable of, but just hasn't delivered on. And that's that's Townsend's biggest challenge is trying to find that consistency in this Scottish team. Um, but um, you can see the potential is there for them. So it's a banana skin for us. We think about that World Cup group, and we're all thinking that you know we've got that uh, that quarter final spot to look forward to. Uh-uh, I don't think so. I think that that Scottish team is very, very dangerous. It could beat anyone on their day. Two banana skins in the Six Nations and, and again at the World Cup, so we have to be very careful about that. But Jonathan, Jonathan it's astounding to think Scotland have not won their opening two matches of this tournament since 1996 when it was still the Five Nations. And they have Wales, obviously, in Saturday. Wales heavily beaten by Ireland. It's, again, teed up for them to have that strong start. But will, do you think they'll be able to deliver on it this time around? I think they'll be able to deliver it deliver on it in the sense that I think they'll beat Wales you would imagine that they'll beat Italy in round five I still don't put them in the same bracket as the other two teams I wouldn't have them as contenders and maybe if they were at a different part in the cycle you might think differently but at the end of the day they're six years in under Townsend now I think at this stage we know what they are and this is what they are they are a team that can pull out these results but they're not going to back it up consistently in the way that the really top teams do yeah like it, it has been such a problem backing it up you know I'm sure you were in squads at times where you know maybe a big win was followed by a letdown in performance but for Scotland fans it must be so frustrating and they pull off an unbelievable win in Twickenham scoring these great tries and then you know if they don't go out and you know put this Welsh team away at Murrayfield 
so it's almost not not that it's for nothing, but like you know they they've never actually contended for a Six Nations trophy. It, it, they could do it this year, but you have to put away the wins that you're meant to put away as well. You do, uh, and I think that would have been one they would have they might have chalked down as a win, but they got it. Um, you know they have us at home as well, which is a big plus for them. I think. Um, you know, I think that the if you're if you're asking me honestly about the Scottish team, I think the ill discipline is going to be the issue for them. I think you see the stuff, the off field issues that they've had. Um, you know, and I think you can see like. You know, Townsend's obviously tried to, you know, implement that, tried to have tighter restrictions on people going out, all those kind of stuff, but just doesn't, hasn't seemed to be able to work. And to my mind, that's a basic requirement of being an international rugby player is that you can just hang on a week or two before you, you know, when the competition's over or before the two-week break in the middle, before you have a drink together. It's important to mix together, but at the same time, it's important to be professional too. And if you've decided on rules... um, and it's a pretty basic you can't keep them you can't stop yourself from going out for a night I don't know that that's, that is the, the root of the problem for them and that's why I think they are kind of an ill-disciplined team and an inconsistent team so they haven't been able to deliver those things it sounds like a basic thing Will but I always found that that was the difference between us when before as I say I go back to my own career uh, you know at Leinster there was all those kind of inconsistencies that ill-discipline that's why we were an up and down team a brilliant win against Munster away followed by an awful loss away um, you know to an understrand team in Wales or Scotland um, you know, and, and that was what what I thought really changed. That was the discipline that Checker and Michael and um, Joe Schmidt brought in, and and that that's what I always thought was the big differentiator. There was loads of talent, but in in both groups, um, you know, with both of those coaches. But the the periods before were kind of littered with that kind of ill discipline. I see a lot of that in Scotland. Um, so I think that's the bridge for them to to get to is whether they can do that. Can they have that really tight knit, disciplined competition? I suspect they can't. <laughs> um, you know, um, maybe they will be that team that surprises, but I think when you have those gaps, um, if you can't plug them and they haven't been able to plug them for quite a while, um, you know, I think that's that's going to be the challenge for them. I don't think they'll be able to bridge it. Yeah, the fixture list is actually, you know, pretty good for them in the sense that they obviously have Wales this weekend, then a break week, then they go to France. So yeah, at least you have that long build-up period of what is a very tricky game. And then you have another week off and then you welcome Ireland. So again, you have a long period of build-up before the two toughest matches of your Six Nations. So it gives them a little bit of chance to prepare, but maybe more chance to go out potentially if, 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 if they feel like having a, having a drink. Jonathan, Steve Borthwick makes a very interesting comment after the England game saying that he'd gone back and looked at it November in detail, got all his stats from his statisticians and that he said we weren't good at a single thing. So he was really throwing Eddie Jones under the bus after you know losing his opening game. But I just found it very interesting that he would kind of be so open or be so stark about A, criticising his predecessor and someone who's who's done a, kind of a lot in his career, making him his assistant coach, but also kind of criticising his own team. Obviously, we watched those games and saw that they weren't great, but to come out and kind of do it so publicly is an interesting tactic. Yeah, I, I didn't really care for it, to be honest. Like I think with the usual caveat of um, it's just after a devastating loss, it's his first game, emotions are running high. I don't really know if I see the benefit of what he was doing or what he was trying to do. And if it he wasn't trying to do something, then it probably just shows naivety, I think, at this level. Because regardless of speaking about the data and the stats and whatever, and we know he is very data-oriented, the headline was always going to be, Borthwick, we weren't good at anything. Any context that he was trying to put on that was always going to be stripped away. And like you say, well, it's not that he's simply throwing Eddie Jones under the bus. He's talking about his own players as well. And I suppose moreover as well, it probably would have meant 
more or be more telling if he had have said that in any of the numerous interviews that he was doing before the game, not not after the game. You know, after the game, it just sort of, to me, it reeks of, oh, well, what did you expect? You know, we're not good at anything. I can't work miracles, you know. Um, to me, it just seemed like a very strange comment to be making after one game. Well, it's funny because I feel like when he said it after he was hired, it was we 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 weren't world class at anything. And then after he loses his first game, it's oh we were actually terrible at all. I was kind of maybe couching it a little bit, and I wasn't. What what did you make of his tactic or his comments? It's it's funny for someone who was being painted as a very kind of dull character compared to some other coaches. It was a fairly inflammatory thing to say. Yeah, no, it is, and I think you know it's not going to be good enough for him to to be um, to, to not be savvy with the media. It'll it'll pile on pressure at periods when he doesn't want it, and when he wants. When he wants the team to have a period where they're not being blown up by the media, uh, it won't be helpful either if he's just black and white with, with, with the kind of data on different things. I think you need to be a little bit more subtle. I think he's definitely smart enough to be able to do that. So he needs, whether he needs some training or whatever he needs, he needs to get that because you need to be good with the media um, if you're in a position as big as the, the English rugby coach. Um, I think um, separating yourself from the team at, at this point is probably not helpful. I think you need to be doing that behind closed doors and, and, and pointing those things out would be my view on this. Uh, I think you need to have the group together at this point and working towards something even if you've had a disappointing performance um, they were still pretty close to winning that match having not played well um, and that's probably the line I would have had um, saying listen look I, I, I would like more time on this not making excuses probably would have been my the, 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 the train of thought that I would have been going um, you know and I think uh, as well throwing any Jones under the bus is probably not helpful it looks like someone who's um, probably not confident in their own ability uh, I think to be thrown to, to be, to be throwing someone else on the bus yes of course the team is going to be taken in a new direction but there was definitely a way you could have said that and that's probably how I would have done it I said listen we're obviously there's going to be a period where we might not get the results we want but I think in the long term we, we are aiming for um, you know uh, you know, a change of mindset a change of game plan with a view to being successful and playing how I want the team to play and how I think the strengths of the team are suited so um, I think there was loads of other things you could have said that wouldn't have been the one I would have picked, um, but um, maybe a bit of tough love is what he is what he wants to do. Uh, interesting to see what impact that'll have. I think they'll get a bounce regardless because they got a loss at home. Yeah, but it's interesting how quickly things can change, Jonathan. In terms of like the fixture list looked quite inviting for a new coach to come in. Scotland at home, Italy at home, week off, go to Wales where they're similarly in a, in a bit of you know upheaval, and now all of a sudden you know you're, you're going to maybe presume they'll beat Italy at home at, at very least but obviously Italy were quite competitive against France and then you got a Cardiff and both teams could be scratching around for, for a, a, an important victory all of a sudden the pressure is kind of piled on C. Bortwick and kind of the RFU for making not only a coaching change but then allowing or watching as Eddie Jones goes off to Australia potentially making it a World Cup obstacle this decision could look very very short-sighted potentially very very quickly if, if things don't go well for C. Bortwick yeah, absolutely. And I do feel from in that regard, because I think the way that the whole thing was handled was fairly poor. I mean, to have Eddie Jones in situ for three quarters of a World Cup cycle, to have a head coach who always says, judge me on the World Cup, judge me on the World Cup, judge me on the World Cup, and to get rid of him so close to the World Cup never really made sense to me. And But even before... Eddie Jones was sacked. It always looked like Steve Borthwick was his um, the guy that they wanted as the long-term successor to him. So I think to throw him in so early and to throw him into such a difficult situation with so little prep, if he was their guy, that to me isn't really backing him. I think it would have made far more sense to continue with Eddie Jones until the World Cup and then give Steve Borthwick 
a proper run at the job. Whereas now, exactly like you say, not even through any fault of his own, but it feels like the pressure could be on very quickly here. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. And it's certainly this Italy game then becomes a lot more important than maybe people would have thought a week ago, not only with England's defeat, but as I mentioned, Italy's competitive performance against France. We might finish up with one last look at the French game then. You're like, Are you confident Ireland can go two from two on Saturday? Uh, no, not confident. Uh, I think it's. I think it is going to be a tight game. Um, you know, they have an excellent kicker. Um, I think they've got a very strong pack. That always kind of concerns me. I thought their defence was messy on the weekend, which is something maybe if Ireland can keep that kind of same accuracy, if they can survive at set piece, we've got a great kicker too. I think you know high, high percentage kicker and pressures pressure moments as well. Um, you know, I think. Um, we we can do it, but it, it, they're they're a monumental task. Like let, let's make no bones about it. I thought I, th- I think their defense will improve massively. I thought Italy's pack were actually very good um, at kind of um, the physical exchanges. I I I don't. Uh, I was really impressed with them at the start. I thought that they were actually most of the mess in the Italian game against France came from their backs, kind of big errors, kicking errors, and things like that. The pack was actually quite good. Um, so I think. France will be focused on that and um, that kind of concerns me a little bit I think if they're stingy defensively against us and they could be and if they're really if they look at what Ireland did in the first 25 minutes against Wales if they muscle up in the tight exchanges you know can Ireland change the game plan can Ireland will Ireland have the confidence to continue to try and break them down there um I don't know. I think it's a huge ask. I think Ireland should do you it. You less confident than you did when you started speaking <laughs> about started it a minute speaking, ago. I know. I just, you know, when you, when you are, like, I, I do think Ireland will win because I think at home we're so hard to beat. But I just feel, I'd love to have Furlong, um, just even to have Beelham, the two of them coming off the bench. I just think there is a gap between Beelham now um, and the next in. Um, yeah, no, I think Ireland do, but it's really tight and it's kind of cagey and it's not the running rugby that we all expect. Hopefully Jonathan gives us a little more of an uplifting uh, <laughs> prediction. What way do you see it going on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I'm loath to make too many predictions after saying how fearful I was about Wales last <laughs> week. But, um, yeah, I think I think Ireland are going to edge this. I think it will be a really, really tight game. I think Ireland will need to do an awful lot of things better than what they did last week. Um, you know, if if you go 46 minutes without scoring a single point this week, you're not going to win the game. If you let your game management get as loose as it did either side of half time in this sort of game, I don't think you're going to win. But I think what this Ireland team has shown and shown a real propensity to do has been to be able to roll with the punches to the point where Andy Farrell almost seems to revel in that. So I think that's what makes me think that this is an Ireland team that can compensate for the loss of Henshaw, compensate for the loss of Furlong, compensate for the loss of Gibson Park. And I think there's so so many different sort of subplots to the game, so many different areas where the game could be won and lost that I can't wait for it. Like, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I think Ireland will edge a close one. But, I mean, if either team were to win this by more than a score, I think that would be a huge, huge statement. I think outside of the set pieces as well, just to tie in with Jonathan's point, outside of the set pieces, which we know are crucial against France, you've got to survive there in the muscly parts, the mall, the scrum particularly. But if they give... Um, if they give France any momentum from you know in the tight exchanges, so the, the, the if if they let Dupont and that French pack dictate the pace of the game, get easy momentum, get easy gain lines, I think they, you know, they they're so hard to stop. I think they they might they, they could they could beat us. That's the, that in that in those two, those three parts of the game is where the winning is. I think, um, which isn't the glamour stuff, but it's the key against France. 
Well, I'd like to thank Luke and Jonathan for joining me tonight on the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back later in the week with another show discussing all the Ireland team news ahead of Saturday at the Aviva Stadium. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review, and follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.